Welcome back to Inside the Oval, presented by Dignity Health. This episode, I'm joined by 49ers Director of Premium and Sweet Sales and one of Sports Business Journal's new voices under 30, Carly Townsend. Carly, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Haley. I'm excited to chat with you today. First off, congratulations on your SBJ award. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely have a great support system here with the Niners, so I feel like that is not just me for sure. That's a representation of all of the people that I get to work with day in and day out. So uh, it was definitely fun to represent the Niners, but it's something that I know a lot of other people's help went into uh, getting that recognition. You had an article written about you, but do you get like a trophy or an award ceremony? What is the best practice there? It was actually great this year because I'm sure last year it was virtual given the circumstances, but this year they actually were able to host an event in person. Um, So I was able to attend in New York and I'm from New York. So that was really great to be able to go back to where I'm from and also um, see some people that still live in the city that I used to know, but also just to meet so many amazing people in the sports industry. Um, It was coupled to with the 40 under 40 event the following evening. So I was able to piggyback off of that where our CRO Brent Schaub was an honoree in 2020 and they uh, had all the 2020 attendees there as well. Um, And Hannah Gordon uh, was actually also a 2021 honoree, um, but I know she was on maternity leave, so she was not able to attend. So it was just great. We had such a strong presence from the Niners there. So to be able to represent the team and the organization in New York was really special. Um, And then also, yes, I do have a plaque that has a picture of myself on it. So I feel a little awkward having that um, displayed anywhere. But I mean, it's something that my parents certainly like. So maybe I'll give it to them one day. But I do have a plaque with my face on it in my office, which, yeah, is a little embarrassing. I mean, it does feel like a over the mantle place, right? Positioning. (laughs) Yeah, I I should give that to my parents one day because they would have that as like their centerpiece on their kitchen table or something. As a director of premium and sweet sales, what are your primary responsibilities? Yeah, so great question. I am responsible or partly responsible, I should say, for helping us achieve our overall sweet revenue goals year over year. So with that, there's a lot of overseeing and implementing the strategy that goes into it. I work very closely and hand in hand with our director of sweet activation, Megan Schreiner and her team. So we joke that we sell the new partnerships and the new deals and her team keeps them happy and keeps them on board. Um, So with that, I have a team of six, five of them are sales reps and they're responsible for closing these new, usually long-term deals that range anywhere from five to 20 years, Uh, year over year, we're constantly looking to onboard new partners. And then I have a coordinator, her name's Adriana, and we joke and call her our creative genius because she's the (laughs) one who puts together all of our sales proposals that go out into the marketplace and help us to close these deals. I think the misconception is that when, like, if you work in sports, you are super busy when football's happening and not when football's not happening. But how does your role change when we are in season versus in the off season? Yeah, great question. So in season, I would say it's definitely one of the busier times of year, but 
to answer a bit of a bit more, I guess, of what we do too. We have both short-term and long-term deals that we're constantly working on. So those short-term deals I'm referring to are really those ones that happen in season. And they're those just single game rentals. Sometimes they might do maybe two or three games, but usually those are a very shorter sales process and a shorter sales cycle. So I would say in season, certainly busy because we're constantly working on solidifying new long-term partners while we're trying to close those shorter deals. But then in the off season, um, like you said, there's definitely a common misconception, but it's actually our busiest time of year with setting new meetings that will hopefully translate eventually into one of these long-term deals. So the team is constantly over uh, the course of the days and the weeks, sending new emails out to set new meetings, all while they're also working on their active pipeline um, with proposals that they currently have out in the marketplace and trying to set up solidified next steps there. So it's really a constant, I would say, trying to solidify these longer term deals. But once we're in season, it does kick up a bit because we are also responsible for those single game rentals. Looking back, like before you got here, what was your path to the 49ers? I'm deciding how far back I should go and how old I should make myself sound. <laughs> I mean, we all know you're under 30, so for not now, <laughs> not much longer, um, but I do still have that going for me for a couple more months anyways. I guess I'll start in college. I uh, went to Holy Cross, which is a small liberal arts school in Western Massachusetts. And while I was there, I was really interested in sort of learning more about the media relations side of the business. Um, I really enjoyed writing. I really enjoyed sort of storytelling. Um, so from college, I started having internships that were focused around sort of media relations and uh, eventually maybe becoming a sports information director for a college. So my first internship in sports, aside from the work that I did uh, in the media relations department at Holy Cross, was with the Worcester Sharks. So they are, or were, I should say, the American Hockey League affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. So they're their minor league team. And I started there as a PR intern. And for anyone who worked or has worked in minor league sports would know, it's super small. Um, so there were 12 people total. So one PR person was there. He had been there for like upwards of 10 years, wasn't going anywhere. So once my internship was over, the foot in the door there was really a sales job um, because that's the positions that were constantly open year over year. So I never had any real sales experience, if you want to call it that, but I was able to get the role as an account executive with the Worcester Sharks, and that's sort of really where it all started. From there, I went and sold group tickets for Madison Square Garden for just under three seasons. So that was constantly selling for the New York Knicks, the New York Rangers, and at the time, the New York Liberty were under the MSG umbrella too. So if you want to talk about no off-season, there was really no off-season there. Um, but that's definitely where I sort of got my foundation as a seller. From there was how I wound up at the Niners, but I actually took a personal jump and moved to California. I met my now-husband, um, back when I was working for the Worcester Sharks, who was then working for and still works today for the San Jose Sharks. So the New York, when I was at MSG um, to San Jose, like, yeah, I got a lot of 
flight miles and credit card points flying back and forth constantly. But at some point, one of us was going to make the jump. So I volunteered. Um, I didn't move out here with a job. I moved out here and had a summer to sort of figure out what I wanted to do. And it really worked out just perfectly that I could not only still be in the sports industry, but take what was kind of a career step to go from group tickets to then selling B2B and premium as a sweet sales consultant. Um, and I was able to get that role just by applying through teamwork online. So that's something that you don't typically hear nowadays. Usually you kind of have to know somebody to get certain roles in sports. So for anyone hopefully listening, um, definitely throw that resume out there for sure, because you never know where it's going to wind up and where you can get, even if you don't know somebody within the walls of an organization weirdly like I've done a PR internship and media and but I, I never did a sales internship which I feel like isn't common for people who are like trying to get into sports what are the differences in selling like b2b and premium suites groups single game like is there a difference in like your tactic or the people that like thrive in those positions? Yeah, definitely. I would say so from the B2B perspective, it's really like there's so much research that goes into it because, well, first of all, it's really hard to strike up a conversation with anybody, um, especially a business executive that has decision-making capabilities. So to even be able to send a cold email or to pick up the phone and catch somebody's attention or catch them even nowadays, I mean, I'm a bad example because I never pick up my phone for numbers that I don't know. So even just to get somebody on the phone nowadays, it's such a challenge where the B2C side you can really um, strike up a conversation based off typically there's a common um, shared likeability towards what you're selling, which is the team. Um, and people really resonate with that. So a lot of times when you're selling B2C, which is like season tickets, fan um, clubs for groups, for example, are just the two that come to mind right away. But the second you say, hi, I'm Carly with the 49ers, they kind of, you pique their interest a bit and they say, oh, like, why are the 49ers calling me? And the conversation is usually a lot easier to start versus if you on the B2B, B side, call a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and say, hi, I'm Carly with the 49ers. Their first reaction is going to be, all right, what do you want? Like, why are you calling me? And you have probably anywhere from 15 to 20 seconds to capture their attention and to see if the conversation is going to go further. When you started out at the 49ers as a sweet sales consultant, is there anything that you do now like as a director that you still did then how have your responsibilities since you got here to now like either changed or stayed the same so I look at myself as yes the role is definitely different than what it was before so as a sweet sales consultant I was more responsible for managing my own mini or not even mini if you want to call it that but managing your own book of business in this area so with that it's a lot of setting meetings um, sending out sales proposals and really you're sort of in the weeds of the sales process where now i'm still constantly selling and constantly working towards that overall goal of the department with my team 
but it's more helping and providing the sellers on my team the support that they need to be successful in their roles. And I really look at myself as like, yes, my, by title, it says director, but we're really all working towards the same common goal. So I have zero, like I'm, I get super excited when my team asks me to join meetings with them or when we have collaborative conversations on what to do next. And I really like kind of going back into the weeds because it's not something that my day-to-day typically entails. But at the end of the day, we're all just working towards that same common goal of closing new deals. So it's just a matter of helping the five sellers that I have today with their books of business and to get them to that position to feel confident that they can close these new deals. Listening to you talk about that, did you play team sports when you were like growing up or like in college? It felt very like that is like the whole team mindset. Yeah, definitely. So I've always been involved in sports, which I feel like sounds cliche. Um, Like if I'm asked it like, oh, when did you know you wanted to work in sports? Usually I pivot to the cliche. Oh, well, I've always played team sports. Um, But yes, definitely. Uh, I played field hockey in college as well. So um, that definitely shaped a lot of who I am today. Um, I hope nobody would ever go to the archives of the Holy Cross field hockey records from (laughs) back when I played. But let's just say it was very trying times um, with how successful we were on the field. Um, But the lack of success that we had on the field certainly presented opportunities for adversity and resiliency. And I think had we been a team that just won all the time or or even won once or twice, um, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. So yeah, definitely team mindset for sure. Um, And that's yeah, just been a constant in my life through team sports. How does the team mindset work like in a sales group is like when I walk past all of your desks, like you have the whiteboard that has everyone individual sales goals. Is there like competition or I know you guys are trying to hit one big number, but how does that dynamic work? Yeah, big time. Sales is so cool because everybody sort of is responsible for, like I said before, their own book of business, if you will. But at the same time, when you're working towards that common goal, there's such a competition, but you almost want your competitor to do well as well. So it's such a weird and unique dynamic because uh, rising tides lift all boats. Like you want everybody rowing in the same direction and you want everybody finding the same success. But the confidence in you and the sort of ego that every inner salesperson has still wants to be number one on the board. Um, But really, it's great. I mean, we have such a strong and talented sales team, but we also have so many different personalities that come together um, that really make up our team. And I would say the best part about it is everybody's so willing to help one another that it never becomes sour or stingy when people are outperforming because that's sort of the expectation that if one person's outperformed, that's going to make that next person work harder, but they're always going to try and make the team as a whole better. And that could be through helping with a sales presentation or helping listen in on one of a calls and then providing feedback. Um, The team just constantly wants everyone to uh, improve as a whole. So it's really something special and unique to sales teams, I would say. At least from like outsider's perspective looking in, there's camaraderie within your team. When you are hiring people to join, is there things, specific things you look for when you interview someone or like red flags that pop up? 
Yeah, for sure. So maybe being biased, but I always do look for, hopefully, if a person has any background playing sports, and that doesn't even need to be at the collegiate level, but definitely always stands out if somebody has experience being on a team, because it's similar. It's you want to be that lead goal scorer on the team, but at the end of the day, you want the team to win. So the goal isn't for you to individually perform. The goal is for you to by performing to the best of your ability and performing at a high level, you're ultimately helping the team. So yeah, team sports, I would say is a big one, but definitely not a deal breaker by any stretch of the imagination. It's more something that I sort of might star on a resume and say, all right, great. This person has experience working in a team environment. As far as red flags go for the jobs that I'm usually hiring for in particular, they're sales jobs that focus on that B2B. And again, communication skills are just so, so important. And also research. Um, the reps on my team do a ton of research on the front end before we even send any email because you only have one shot. Um, so A, that email has to get opened, which is another challenging thing with all the technology and email blockers and all of that nowadays. But B, if somebody's going to open your email, you have to stand out and have to show that, hey, we're not just any sales rep trying to get in front of you. We saw something. It's usually a congratulatory opening sentence on something that we saw about their business or about them personally. Um, or if they're a new company that just secured funding, whatever it is, we show them that we did a bit of research and we're not just emailing them because they showed up on a list. That's my favorite response that we get is please remove me from a list. And it's like, well, <laughs> you're not on a list. We actually put a ton of thought into the email that we sent your way. But anyways, um, so yeah, there's so much research that goes into that first email. And then even if we get somebody to agree to a meeting, there's at least an hour's worth of research that goes into that first meeting by the sales rep that is on that meeting. And then from there, if it makes sense to go to a proposal, which is when we're really pitching um, sort of the products that we have, which are primarily those long-term suite leases, I would say overall, there's probably at least three hours of research that goes into just getting two meetings on the calendar. So if somebody's asking me a question in an interview that shows that they have not done research either A, on our organization or B, on myself. Like LinkedIn is such an easy tool nowadays to just go on and ask, oh, well, I noticed, I saw that you were here. What did you learn about your experience here? Versus asking me like, what roles do you have previously? And how did you want, like those types of questions that just show that zero research went into it usually can tell me that this candidate might not do or might not spend the amount of time that they should researching a company if they didn't even do that for the interview. You talked about the research that goes into pitching suites, but for these long-term contracts, what goes into maintaining relationships? Like how much of that is part of your job? So I would say once they're on board, we're certainly a big part of just being a representation of the organization for that client. However, there's sort of really a passing of the client from the sales team, which is us, to Megan Shriner's sweet activation team, which they do so much. And it's just, it's 
It is a department and a job and a function in itself to make sure that we're just prioritizing our partners to every degree that we can. Like, yes, we're still involved to a degree, but Megan's team does so much from even like it, there's the in-season and the out-of-season. There's the day-to-day in-season of making sure that they have all of their tickets, um, their ticket management, that they know how to manage their tickets, that their suite's set up on game day, um, that their catering orders are in place. But then there's so much that goes into the partnership in the off-season too. So it's really an entire job function that I don't want to say that we pass off because it's certainly a collaborative relationship and we're very involved if it makes sense for us to be involved. Um, But yeah, Megan's team, I mean, there are a ton of rock stars on that team as well, herself included. So they're the ones that really keep our clients happy because that's such a focus of ours as an organization that we couldn't do that alone as a sales team while we're actively trying to onboard new partners. We want to make sure that they have a team fully dedicated to keeping them happy once they're on board. Since you started in sports and sales, have you seen the industry change with any emerging technology or general best practices. We were just joking about this last week or the week before with our CRO, Brent Chauve, and then also my VP, Dustin Albertson, with back in the day, I say that back in the day, um, (laughs) but for anybody who's familiar with sort of like the industry, I guess, platforms and terms, but there's a it's more of an inventory management system and sort of for reporting that's called Arctics, but we actually used to use that as our contact management as well prior to any CRM really being even in the conversation. So I guess I might be dating myself again here, but when I started selling, like I didn't, we didn't have CRM. I didn't know what CRM was. And now that side of the business has just evolved so amazingly for lack of a better word really there um, because it really just helps the productivity and the day-to-day for the sales teams to be able to have a entire system to not only track all of the previous notes that they may have sent to an organization or to a client in addition to their ticket purchases but to help with their follow-up process too um, it really just I mean, we've come such a long way of an industry and I'm excited to see where we keep going. Um, Also, it's a perfect opportunity to to give a shout out to our CRM team and our BSA team. Um, Without them, I feel like we would not be nearly as productive. Um, But now even so, using CRM as a strategic way to launch new sales campaigns, where even CRM itself is evolving, where once originally started as just a way to manage your contacts and to be able to set these follow-ups, now we're able to really take it a step further. And luckily, we can lean on the experts there, like Noel on our BSA team, um, but we can really lean on them to help us run these sales campaigns as well. Is there anything that you hope changes or evolves in the next five to 10 years in sports sales or like any technology that you dream of? (laughs) Um, You know, it's actually funny because I was just thinking about this too, where in this particular role on the B2B side and in premium and suite sales, it is still traditionally very, I would say old school in a sense that 
it really, it's so untapped with what we can do with different CRM campaigns and the data that we have access to and even joining forces with the marketing team, um, which fortunately uh, have a bit of experience in that from the B2C side. Um, previous to this, I was the director of SBL and group sales. So a lot of on the B2C side, you can be really, really creative. Um, that department's in great hands now with Bennett Sexton, who's taken the reins over there over the past year or so. And um, it, he definitely is seeing it now too with how creative you can get with different campaigns and different email sends. And yeah, again, working alongside with you guys as a great marketing team and the BSA team. But the B2B side is really just slower to adapt a bit there. I think because it's a little bit more challenging to send a targeted email or to find these execs that might respond to something that can go out to 10,000 people. We like to, like I mentioned, we spend a half hour just to send one email. I wish and I can't wait to see and hopefully be a part of getting the B2B side to change from that old school mentality of, no, we have to contact every single person from person to person and being able to really lean on data and analytics and new insights that we have access to to help us book these first meetings. On the like premium or B2B side, do you get to talk best practices with other clubs or leagues or like have any sort of like events where you get to kind of share that information or is that something that you guys develop internally and kind of test as you go? Yeah, it's a bit of both. So the league does host a call once a month with similar people in similar roles across every team. That's always helpful. And then from there, usually the good thing too um, is everyone's so open and like, yeah, that call might only be 40 minutes and once a month, but if you find a really valuable takeaway, uh, people are very open to talking about that specific takeaway that you had or question that you had more. So they're really great from that best practice perspective. I would say internally, yeah, I mean, we're always constantly trying to think of new ideas to I guess, like you mentioned, just kind of get in front of more people, but effectively. And that's where one of my favorite parts about working for this organization is really just the collaboration. And that's not just within the sales silo, but the collaboration on the marketing side with sales and marketing and on the BSA or the business strategy analytics side, um, because we're all after the same common goal. So it's really cool to put people from different roles and different backgrounds together to work towards that same common goal, in this case happening to be increased revenue, increased meetings booked to translate to that revenue. Um, so yes, there are definitely tools, but the think tank sessions that we have internally are usually very productive as well. How many people, I feel like I could go over and count, but I don't think that would be very productive. <laughs> How many people go into like a premium sales team? It's a huge group. How do you guys separate who does what? So there's six total that are on the sweet sales team, those five sellers, and then our coordinator. Um, there's also, there's so many silos in sales too. So like I was mentioning, Bennett Sexton oversees the SBL, which is our season ticket team, and then also the group sales team. So as sellers, 
others. Honestly, don't even ask me how many we have right now because uh, I don't know. I would probably have to go and do a head count too. Um, and then there's the ticket sales side of it. So for our single game tickets with Brad Dugan and his ticketing team, um, there's also the servicing side of it. So you have Brandon Lohman um, with his team. And then, like I mentioned before, Megan Schreiner and her team on the suite activation side. So the, yes, there's a lot of us that all work towards that same common goal um, of getting new people on board and also keeping them happy. Do you find that people jump between silos? It depends. So the common misconception that I've had to learn myself just through experience in sports is that your career path doesn't always have to be linear and you don't have to go from being in inside sales to having your first job as an account executive and then being an account executive and going to sell suites. Um, I'm also very fortunate where a lot of it's right place, right time. Um, so had the opportunity to jump from a seller on the suite sales side, when I, which is what I had as my role when I first started to really step into management um, on the membership sales and the SBL and group side. Um, and then from there, just again, you kind of have to be in the right place in the right time and also have the right support systems in place. And I can't credit our VP, Dustin Albertson, enough for really trusting in me to sort of make that leap back into premium um, in a management capacity. Um, but yeah, a lot of it, I would say, yeah, throw your resume out there and raise your hand. Um, Close mouths don't get fed is something that I always like to a, say, and B, remind myself. So if there's a job out there and you think you're a great candidate for it, certainly raise your hand um, because a career path in sports does not have to be linear. We always end this podcast with like a lightning round. Long answer, short answers, like everything is acceptable. It's okay. just the name we have come up with. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. <laughs> Do you have a sports icon? Can I give two? Absolutely. <laughs> so I am a huge fan of women's sports. Um, so I would throw Subert out there, um, just turned 40 and is coming back for another season in the WNBA. Uh, and then also she and a ton of other female athletes founded a sports brand called Together to promote female athletes. So I'm a big fan of, I feel like we hear this saying more often, um, it's one thing to say it, but also to preach it and to do it, um, but empowered women, empower women. So super for sure. Um, and then also Mia Hamm just comes to mind because I grew up playing soccer. I wasn't very good at it, so I didn't get to play for too long, but always looked up to her. And she is a team owner um, now with LAFC. So just, again, it's really empowering to see these women perform on the court and on the field, but they're continuing to do so through sports in boardrooms and in sports business as well. Do you have a favorite thing about your job? Yes, definitely. And it's working with people who love what they do. Um, I feel like everybody within the walls of this organization just really enjoys being here and working alongside the other people that are here as well. Um, so that's something that I definitely do not take for granted. Um, as someone who leads a team, is there something that surprised you most about moving into a manager role? Managing is really a lot of just 
managing personalities in a way um, with a team. And I would say six is actually even a pretty small team. Um, But really, I mean, you as a manager have to get to know your team, but also get to know what empowers them. The way you coach one rep might not work with another. So really, that's the fun part about it, too, is learning how to best put people in a position to succeed in their roles. And the way that you do that with one person might be drastically different from another. Do you have a favorite game day or on the field 49ers memory since you started working here? Yes, and it has to be the NFC Championship game in 2019. Um, I think, I mean, as far as memories go for just overall sports day in general, um, it was almost like once we got to halftime, I don't even remember what the score was, but even once like there were two minutes left, I kept telling myself, it's not over yet. I know it looks really good on the scoreboard right now, but it's not done yet. And then once that confetti starts flying, um, it really is just something special. Also, just personally, um, my husband works in sports too, so it's really hard for us to be able to actually enjoy any event together. And he happened to be able to attend that. I wasn't able to go to the Super Bowl with us when we went back in 2019, but to be able to share that with him was something special too. Can you go like go to other sporting events or buy tickets? Do you judge what others are doing? Like how removed can you be from the process? Yeah, I would say it's a blessing and a curse um, because when I go to another sporting event, I rarely can focus on the game itself because (laughs) I'm so interested in seeing what type of activations those teams have and what areas they're driving revenue by, what their suites look like. Or, I mean, the funny thing is too, if you can ever get into another stadium or another arena, especially a local one, and kind of look around and see... um, who, what company names are on the outward facing suite doors. So like, you know, who's doing business elsewhere too. So yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's hard to actually sit in a seat and enjoy a sporting event and just watch a sporting event nowadays. Um, But I definitely will never not enjoy going to sporting events. I feel like this is a hard question, but I've had it in the lineup ever since um, Christine Zambetti was on the podcast. Do you have a last skill you learned? Ooh, this one's a tough one. And just thinking firsthand, I'm going to go with like a life skill and not like a work-related skill. And I don't know if you can ask me to do this again, but I would say... (laughs) putting air in the tires. So (laughs) I am, I have an older brother, but I'm like an only daughter, if that makes sense. So I was definitely a coddled child when it came to doing anything related to my car, where I would just say, dad, can you fix this? So having to learn how to put air in my tires, um, my dad does not live in close proximity to me recently um, with having my tire pressure go down. Don't ask me to do it again. I don't know (laughs) if I can do that. But yeah, that that would be my life skill. My high school had a like a mechanical like shop class. Okay. And one of the things you could take was car mechanics. And I still regret it's such a dumb regret that I regret not taking one of those. I totally with you. Yes, that's it's so funny looking back on the things we learned in high school and it's like wow, I really wish somebody taught me like 
actual life skills instead of how to do like I don't know long division (laughs) right like I definitely didn't need that extra like psychology class I probably should have learned how to change my tire (laughs) yes agreed and yeah I would probably make my dad fly across the country from Florida to take me to get my oil changed before (laughs) I go do it myself Last question. It's my favorite one. Every job posting has the like ominous other duties as assigned (laughs) bullet point at the bottom. Have you done anything with the 49ers that like maybe you weren't expecting or wasn't like one of the bullets of like this is what the job will be? Yeah. And I think this one is definitely um, not one that you kind of go ugh to and like roll your eyes out, but this is a fun one. But I would say for MIM testing, so MIM for anyone listening that doesn't know what it is, is our member inclusive menu. Um, And I guess it's just a perk of working for an organization that's constantly pushing the boundaries and really just looking to constantly improve the overall experience for the members. So our member inclusive menu involves including the cost of typical stadium food and beverage into your season ticket. Um, So before launching that, Haley, I don't know if you got to indulge in crushing soft pretzels and nachos as well, but I definitely didn't expect that being something as like a food tester and a operational tester, but I certainly enjoyed that one. No, that was nice. We had many a lunch that were just like, would you like a burger and pretzel? And you're like, sure, why not? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, Carly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a joy talking with you. And yeah, go Niners. 